Hello, and welcome to Darknet Demystified. My name is Sam Ben. I'm a former Darknet vendor, market admin, and now I'm a content creator, author, hacker, and paralegal. On this show, I delve into topics related to the Darknet. So if you're interested in evaluating your security, for example, by looking at cases in which the individuals went against the federal governments of the world, then you're in the right place. But looking at Darknet vendors and how they ran their business along with their mistakes, we can see how to operate inside of a highly hostile environment with adversaries who have black or unlimited budgets to catch, arrest, or disrupt you in terms of operational security and informational security, which kind of makes any other adversary a joke. Today's episode concerns a darknet vendor who has not been sentenced yet, which is new for this podcast. He is about to be, though, on May 30th of 2023. Unlike most vendors, this man faces the possibility of a life sentence. His name is Henry Coffey. He's 37 years old, and he's from Darby, Pennsylvania. He was found guilty on two counts of distribution of a controlled substance, resulting in death, one count of distribution of a controlled substance resulting in serious bodily injury, and five counts of distribution of a controlled substance. In this case, the mistake that this vendor made was preventable, and a lot of them were just foolish, um, and there were a lot of them. An affidavit supporting the criminal complaint that was filed in Pennsylvania by Special Agent Eric Yingling. <laughs> Can't make this up. Life is definitely stranger than fiction sometimes. Agent Yingling works for the FBI and is currently assigned to the Complex Financial Crimes and Healthcare Squad, which includes an opioid task force in the Pittsburgh Division of the FBI. In his affidavit, he states that he's been there since December of 2014, and he also states that he thinks that Coffee, spelled K-O-F-F-I-E, is a vendor on Alpha Bay, who goes by the name of Narcoboss. He talks about how this vendor on Alpha Bay has on his product page products such as China White Synthetic Heroin Fentanyl Mix. And that's quite a title. At the price of $40 a gram. He said that when he had viewed the profile in June of 2017, the profile had indicated that they had conducted well over six and a half thousand transactions. These transaction amounts would be something that would come back to bite him in the ass later on. Although they detail a number of undercover buys, I swear these guys get off on this really weird terminology. Um, at the end of the day, like every person on the dark net is anonymous. So like when they make these purchases, they are too. I love how they still like to say that, you know, they're undercover. Like, if you're, you know, anonymous, um, you don't need a cover. All you need is a, you know, your screen name. It's just, it's funny that, like, you know, they they perpetuate this thing. Like, it's it's like, you know, some elitist kind of thing. Like, oh, we, were, we made it undercover. <laughs> like, everyone's undercover. Uh, anyways, the opening up of one of the per purchases of the package is that they made uh, from coffee. Basically, they open up this mail parcel, and inside this mail parcel, there's an envelope. 
you know, like a white legal envelope, regular kind of envelope you'd you'd stick your your mail in. Um, and and inside of that was a like a zipper bag, like a Ziploc bag, which had ten grams of white powder in it. And if they're actually telling the truth about this, in my opinion, that right there, uh, in and of itself, is a massive, massive fail. So, you know, first off, there should have been like at least three different layers, like distinct, separate layers of heat sealed mylar bags or vacuum bags, as some people like to call them. Um, I know that when I shipped, I would use anywhere from two to three layers. On top of that, I would use what's called a visual decoy, which is just like a bag that is a vacuum sealer, heat sealed bag, but you can't see through it. And I would, you know, slap this label on it that said organic dried fruit. So if someone grabbed it, it didn't feel weird, didn't look weird, it seemed kind of normal. Um, but to have like absolutely no vacuum sealing whatsoever is definitely a wicked bad hit, in my opinion. Um, and like the... A funny part of the affidavit, uh, to me anyways, I'm just misreading it, was a section where it said that, you know, inside the plastic bag, they found 10 grams of white powder. So I read that, I'm like, oh, you 10 grams, you know, and I kept reading. And then I got further into the affidavit and they said that, you know, they had sent the, the you know, the suspicious white powder to the United States Postal Inspector Service Forensic Laboratory for chemical analysis. And that it was 11 grams of fentanyl. I'm like, wait a minute, didn't you guys just weigh it and said it was 10 grams? Like, did it, did it, did it grow? <laughs> like, I just, I don't know what I was missing. Um, so it's just interesting in the affidavit, you know, how they got that wrong, uh, unless I'm wrong. Um, and in addition to this, they said that do, you know, to the number of undercover purchases, which is going to just now... Now that I saw it, it's going to drive me nuts. Um, every time I, I, I go through and I read another one of these affidavits, um, anyways, they said that, you know, because of the amount of purchases that, you know, coffee basically had, um, and, you know, the fact that he hadn't really driven anywhere um, to do them, that they could tell that he was shipping them from in and around the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Which, I mean, this is, this is a definitely a red flag. Like, not necessarily, like, where he was shipping from, but the fact that he was constantly shipping from the same place as, like, like, like that's a major, major issue. Uh, if you're shipping packages every day, like, that's cool. You're, you know, that's what it is. That's the job. It's But you need to be not shipping from the same places. Like, if you have to wait and ship once every three days... Or, you know, once every two days because, you know, you, you need to add some driving time. Then, like, that's what you need to do. Like, if you need to, you know, rent a rent an apartment, like, uh, not an apartment, but, like, rent a, a hotel, like, whatever. Like, that's what you need to do um, in order to do that, in order to ensure that you have that distance between yourself and where it's getting shipped from. Um, like, and you shouldn't be coming back to that post office for a few months. Um, when the feds reviewed uh, Coffee's Coinbase account, it showed that he had transacted a total of like 341 Bitcoin. Um, and all his transactions were, were laid out, obviously, all that information they, they had. And again, more than willing to hand over to the feds. Like, it's just, 
it's it's absolutely insane um the the fact that there's so little forethought into opsec that people more than willingly hand over all this info um to them so information security basically making sure that specific pieces of information that you have are secure which is pretty self-explanatory uh now that i said it operational security has more to do with preventing any competition or adversaries that you may have from being able to gather any information um him operating in a way or using coinbase using accounts that were in his name providing his real name providing his real phone number all allowed law enforcement to easily show that he was involved in this activity um and that it, it was it was all at the end of the day they could look and they could say like look at how many transactions have happened look at how much money he's gotten and even if they didn't know how many transactions he had had they could base it off of that because all of those financial records are saved so had he used something that was non-kyc it would have been a lot more difficult for them to pin all that kind of stuff on him and make those connections Obviously, him also finding a different supplier would have definitely helped. Um, if one was to argue the point of karma, I think that they would point out the drugs that, that he sold. Um, there are literal task forces that are dedicated just to individuals like this who sell opioids. Um, so selling opioids puts a massive target on your back as a darknet vendor. Um, and what's interesting is the more task forces that they create, the government, I mean, that they assign to these kind of specific drugs and all that stuff, um, and the more these particular drug traffickers are hunted, the more lucrative the drug becomes. Um, in other words, the more the U.S. government tries to ban um, and prosecute people for using the drug, the more the drug gets used. And this kind of backwards logic is something that is, is common with the United States government and its prohibition on various drugs and its stance on drugs. Um, and I'm absolutely a fan of the United States doing kind of the same thing that the state of Oregon uh, has done in legalizing all drugs. And I, I digress. Back back to the main you know, event. Um, so, death, or rather close to it. The side effect of selling hard drugs like fentanyl is that people sometimes die from them. And sometimes they overdose from them and they live. Uh, but one thing that some people fail to understand is that on occasion, HSI will pick up some of these non-fentanyl overdoses or fatal overdoses when they happen. A big part of this has to do with who they happen to, where they happen. Like you're not... You know, you're probably not going to see the Department of Homeland Security come in and do a massive investigation when a crackhead ODs in the projects um, because they were doing fentanyl. Like, they just don't care. Um, now, that said, uh, a case where they do care, for example, is like one such you know, non-fatal overdose um, took place in Portland, Oregon in May of 2016, and it happened at the Portland State University. And law enforcement there had, like, recovered a USPS parcel that was shipped by Darknet Market Kingbin um, in Portland. And that overdose they cared about uh, because it's in an affluent place. You know? <laughs> but 
I, I'm not laughing. It's not funny. It's just like it's sort of it's asinine. Um, but before I continue on with this, like the one of the golden rules, right, is to never handwrite anything if you're a dark vendor. Along with putting like your prints everywhere, handwriting something is equivalent to like leaving a saliva or a fingerprint. It's something that can be identified and attributed to you. It's literally like you signing the box, like your signature. It's extremely stupid to do. Furthermore, you shouldn't use like your household inkjet printer because many printers have what's called microprinting. Like, go Google it. And some of the time, your IP address is printed inside of that really, in really, really small letters and you can't see it. Um, Instead, you want to be, buy a thermal printer, which uses no ink and doesn't do microprinting. So, in 2016, coffee violated this golden rule. Uh, and it gets so much worse. It gets so much worse. Like, so, he sent a package using a handwritten return address. And this alone is a massive, massive information security violation and a stupid operational security screw-up. Just, that's complete laziness. Um... And, like, in this case, you're not controlling your information. Like, you're not denying information to your enemies, which is literally the definition of operational security, to, um, and, and you're granting them the ability to collect valuable information about you, um, and you, you writing is just another link that they can use for the chain that they're going to use to shackle you to a conviction. Um, so, listen to this. A review of the handwritten shipping label identified a return address of to 210 Walnut Street, Floor 2, Derby, Pennsylvania. Who cares, right? What do we know about this address anyways? Well, we know that Coffee, at the time, was receiving half kilos of fentanyl at 216 Walnut Street, 2nd Floor, Derby, Pennsylvania. <laughs> And is uh, and, and elected to ship with a return address of 210 Walnut Street, um, second floor, Derby, Pennsylvania. I mean, I really have to ask, why not just write, dude, why not write 216 Walnut Street? You just give them your real address. Like, like I mean, why, why write 210? I mean, why not write 316? Um, you make the number six addresses away, but the same floor and like, when I read this, it just really blew me away. The FBI agent who made the affidavit said in it that he believes that the slight change from 200 to 216 um, in the return address is done in an effort to for coffee to avoid and conceal his illegal activities, which absolutely brilliant deduction. Um, I didn't think it was that. I thought he just entered the wrong address. I mean, I mean you could tell that at the end of the day, we're dealing with an individual who obviously has an IQ north of 140. And uh, I'm absolutely being sarcastic about both the darknet vendor in question as well as the FBI agent who wrote the affidavit. Even though the FBI agent is not a handwriting expert, um, which he even says in his own affidavit, um, he didn't have a problem commenting on the fact that the handwriting on Coffee's passport to that of the package that it appeared to have a striking resemblance. And that was the last thing that the FBI agent said uh, in his affidavit. 
Now, all of that said, I have to say that I was really impressed with Coffee's legal work uh, that he submitted for himself. For a guy who you know, presumably didn't know what he should send and didn't know that he shouldn't write a handwritten return address and it didn't really have any kind of basic operational security or plan or, you know, didn't think about logistics at all. Like he definitely seems to have picked up on being able to write a pretty clean motion, uh, pretty coherent anyways. This was listed as, as document 13 and, and in this case, uh, number 217CR00204 CB, if anyone like cares um, and wants to look it up. But like, uh, I'm not going through that in any detail because um, it basically just, it, it's, a, it's a motion with him like contesting some of the evidence uh, that they had pointed out and trying to point out that the feds like screwed up in, in a couple of different ways. But it's mostly like in terms of like jurisdiction and stuff like that. And the main goal of this podcast is to evaluate law enforcement to see how specific darknet vendors ended up getting caught. And we do this uh, to explore the world of operational security, information security, like you said before. It's a comparison that we can use to measure our own security if we like um, as private citizens and um, law-abiding citizens. I personally feel that this evaluation is one of the best we can have because, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, at the end of the day, the, the people who are after darknet vendors in many cases have those unlimited budgets that I mentioned, and they have not just one or two federal governments behind them, but they also have national and international task forces that are literally dedicated to hunting these people. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there are even specific task forces for specific drugs. So like when you're trying to evaluate your own security and it's like, this guy might send me malware. I mean, like it's, it's kind of a joke in comparison. So I think it's a really good comparison to make the level of security that they're at. Um, now, what we've covered so far is like strictly his criminal case in Pennsylvania. Okay. He has a, he has a whole other case in Oregon. <laughs> and yet another law enforcement officer's testimony. Um, we hear about like even more serious horrible OPSEC moves um, and fatal cases. Um, so I would argue that that case is more severe. In this case, it's from a special agent with uh, Homeland Security Investigations named Guy Gino. Um, agent Gino has been working for you know Department of Homeland Security since 2003. And he's currently working with the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, a.k.a. HIDTA, Interdiction Task Force, or HIT, located at the Portland Police Bureau's Drug and Vice Division in Portland, Oregon. On May 6th of 2017, at 10.06 at night, Portland police were dispatched to 3325 Southeastern 29th Ave in Portland, Oregon. An individual identified only by the name CW had died from an overdose. Officer Pagan and Officer Watts with Sergeant Bates responded to investigate the overdose. Watts and Bates both collected evidence while Officer Pagan, or Pagan, Pagan, whatever, I don't know how to pronounce his name, interviewed CW's roommate. His roommate was Trevor Nichols, Sosa, 
who wasted absolutely no time in snitching out his dead friend, saying that CW had been using fentanyl since approximately the new year. Sosa also told Officer Hagen that CW liked to mix alcohol, Xanax, and fentanyl. He also told Officer Pagan that CW was getting the fentanyl and Xanax from the Darknet site Alpha Bay. And he also told the officer that he had, CW had torn off the tag on his mattress, which was a federal crime. No, I'm kidding. But I'm not, it's like, come on, man. I mean, your, your buddy just died and like your the first move's going to be to tell the cops everything about how f***ed up this guy is when his body's in the next room. Like, this is... It's just, I, I hate rats. Anyways, so reading through this, I was just like, are you, are you kidding me? I get, they get so much crazier though. Like, it's absolutely insane. The next person to get interrogated was Sean Bloodworth. Bloodworth quickly told Officer Pagan that he and CW both were ordering fentanyl over Alpha Bay from a vendor who used the name Narco Boss, effectively snitching on himself and his dead friend. But he didn't stop there. He went on to detail to these two uniform cops. But it's not like these are feds showing up. Um, these two uniform cops that Narco Boss advertised the fentanyl as pure China white. Well, I mean, he actually advertised it as, as mixed, as we quoted earlier. But hey, what's, what's the matter? You're already telling on people. Why not lie to? But Bloodworth told the cops that he and CW uh, would split the cost of a gram but that CW had started to order other drugs using his name. He said that CW liked to mix the drugs with alcohol. When they asked Bloodworth which drug CW had overdosed on, he informed them fentanyl. He also said that CW had ordered a gram of fentanyl from Narco Boss for $40 that arrived on May 4th, 2017 at 1.06 p.m. No, I'm kidding about the 1.06 p.m. It's just... It's absolutely nuts. Um, but that they hadn't finished it. And that CW most likely overdosed on that fentanyl. And later the Oregon State Medical Examiner informed HSI that CW had died of fentanyl. So, like, I guess that kind of invalidates the whole point of Bloodworth saying anything. Or his roommate, for that matter. Like, these two dudes snitching their ass off. Like, you know, at the end of the day... The man's dead. Like, why air his dirty laundry out there? Um, just, just shut up. You know what I mean? Um, and I know people are like, oh, you're doing the same thing by having this podcast. Well, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm hearing the snitches. Um, and if the state's going to do their own autopsy anyway, like to find the cause of death, why telling yourself? Like, I really don't get these people. Bloodworth went on to detail the amount of shipping time it took to get the drugs, as well as the fact that the envelopes were eight and a half by 11 and he told the uniform officer that typically inside the large envelope was a plain white letter envelope that contained the fentanyl and the white powder form he said that narco boss's fentanyl was always sent from a pennsylvania address and he also said that he'd been ordering from him since the beginning of the year and at the end of the day it seems like bloodworth and CW's roommate were absolutely, like, super eager to talk to law enforcement. Shortly after that, an investigation by HSI in Grand Forks, uh, North Dakota, by Special Agent Jeremy Grube was 
underway due to another fatal overdose of Miss Wilson's boyfriend, who had overdosed and was taken to Altru Hospital. Feds had went to interview Holian after having Wilson, whose boyfriend had just overdosed, arrested on state charges. Um, so he stitched on himself and said that he was responsible for purchasing fentanyl from Narco Boss, who was a darknet vendor on Alpha Bay. Agents then searched his bedroom, most likely because the idiot gave them consent to do so, and they discovered narcotics and paraphernalia, and they found all this because he had cooperated with them. Um, because he had cooperated with them, they, they let him go. They're like, no, nah. <laughs> okay, they didn't let him go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. The, the moron literally snitched on himself and gave the feds permission to search his house, and they found all his stuff, and they, they charged and arrested him, um, gave him state drug charges. Uh, and the idiot just answered the door and said that, you know, he had nothing to say and that he didn't want to talk to them um, and that if they were going to arrest him, then they could do that. Uh, otherwise, he was closing the door and he, he would be he would be free right now. Um, probably doing heroin. <laughs> but my point is, he would have his freedom. Um, like, never talk to the police. Never talk to the feds. If they're talking to you, then that means they don't have enough to arrest you. They are only talking to you to see if you will give them enough for them to be able to arrest you. Remember, these people are not your friends. Anything you say can and will be held against you. And here's where it gets really funny, okay? So they had Holine or Holian, um, who was stitched on by Wilson, right? Now, both of these people were arrested and given state drug cases, even though they cooperated with authorities. Holine took it to a whole nother level, though. He snitched on a guy named Jeremy Sortberg, claiming that Sortberg gave him some fentanyl in the early morning of April 26, 2017. He also said that his friend, Sortenberg, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want him for a friend, uh, presumably had more fentanyl and other narcotics. Agents were overjoyed that the Salem witch hunt, you know, was able to continue. And, um, due to people's continued cooperation and that more people would be arrested and go to prison instead of going to rehab or getting help with their addiction. And, uh, they conducted a brief operation with, uh, Holine's consent to set up his friend Sordenberg. Sordenberg arrived at the meeting location and was detained by the investigators. They discovered that he was in possession of narcotics, shocker, um, and narcotics paraphernalia. When he was interrogated, he admitted to providing Holine with fentanyl in the early morning hours of April 26, 2017. He also stated that he received the fentanyl from Name Redacted. Yeah, like they didn't they didn't list it, so I'm going to put it as Name. Every time we talk about this particular individual, that's how I want to phrase it of Grand Forks, North Carolina. Sortenberg believed that Name Redacted and Holine were together to get uh, to obtain grams of fentanyl from the darknet vendor. Now, Sortenberg snitching on himself. Um, he drove agents past Name Redacted's residence, located at 1820 17th Street, South Grand Forks, North Dakota. <laughs> uh, yeah. For his extensive cooperation, he was 
later arrested on drug charges. So now it's time to go and press the residence uh, at Name Redacted's residence, located at 1820 17th South Street, Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I love how the feds in this case redacted the name of the individual, but not the house that he was living at. Like, it would probably take 10 minutes to look up the historical records and see who actually lived there. Uh, anyways, as soon as the feds arrived there, Name Redacted's dad not only invited the feds into his house, but also condemned his son, stating that his son was strung out at the moment in his bedroom and escorted the agents to his bedroom where they discovered Name Redacted, disoriented, and visibly under the influence of an unknown substance, along with being partially unresponsive. At the time, they contacted EMS and had him brought to the hospital. Name Redacted's parents consented to a search of his room. After a while, the feds had went back to the girlfriend who had her boyfriend die, um, and this was Miss Wilson that we had mentioned initially, and she again confirmed that uh, Blake Holian provided her with the fentanyl, which was later used by her boyfriend, and you know, he fortunately died. Um, during the investigation of Dark Net Market Kingpin, HSI agents were able to retrieve a package in which fentanyl was actually received by a customer. Just like the other package that we discussed, this package also had a handwritten label. Unlike the other package, this package return address was 210 Walnut Street. Now, depending on how good your memory is, you may remember that this address is Coffee's actual home address. Yeah. He used his real address as a return address for a drug package, as if it wasn't bad enough that he had a handwritten label. He basically handed over his own address in doing this. And another thing that we had mentioned before that had connected him between both the Darknet Market Kingpin account um, on Alpha Bay that was banned and the Narco Boss account was that that expired uh, GNU PG key. Um, that key was version 2.1.21. That version of the key came, like, came out in 2012 and had a ton of updates since then. According to Alpha Bay Reviews, um, Darknet Market Kingpin had been banned from the site because he was advertising the wrong product. Um, he had been advertising that he was selling, uh, that what he was selling was China White fentanyl mixed with heroin. When in reality, like there was no heroin in his product. So now we've covered a bunch of ways that this, you know, this guy is screwed up really bad. Um, and here's another one. Um, so when he had packaged these packages, he didn't use gloves. Which, but come on, man. I mean, this is like, like, I mean, criminals in the 90s knew to wear gloves. I mean, I mean, like, like when I used to do this, I used to package my products in a, in a frigging clean room that I sterilize on a, a, like a regular basis. I used a mixture of bleach and water or alcohol, um, and this ensured that any skin cells, which are DNA, basically, were cleaned out of the room or killed or sanitized. Like, coughing did none of this and, in fact, was you know, too lazy to even wear gloves, and his fingerprints were all over, both inside and out, the packages that contained fentanyl. And, you know, the funny thing about this case was that him switching up vendor names mattered. Like, 
had he went through the simple effort of also changing the picture of his vendor name um, and like generating a new PGD, he may have helped to evade or dilute the connection between the two accounts. Like, and disconnection between these two accounts accounted for additional indictments and prosecutions and no doubt will add a considerable amount of time onto his actual sentence. Like this connection between these two accounts, namely between the dark net market kingpin and narco boss was so obvious that even customers knew about it. Like in one of his reviews, HSI agents remarked that customers had said, despite his name changing, um, the product is still amazing. Um, that there were even conversations on the Alphabet forums that also confirmed this. Like, as if that sounded bad enough, HSI also looked at his social media. And we talked about this earlier, but in addition to being able to confirm the times that he set himself on vacation with him actually taking vacation and then discussing it on social media, um, a review of his Facebook page, for example, which was titled Moneybags215, and with which he used his real name to create the account, uh, showed a ton of photos of him holding stacks of money. And we're not talking about like one or two accounts here. We're talking about several. And the more they looked, the more they found. Like, and, and further investigation revealed that Coffee had used the alias Count Stack, which is kind of funny and, and cute, I guess, if you're a 12 year old and you're coming up with a Twitter handle, your first Twitter handle. Um, in a post that he made on February of 2017, um, which included an Instagram photo in the post, he had said, no clubbing for me tonight. Work, 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 work. Okay, well, and nothing really bad about that, I mean, right? So here's the thing. The Instagram photo um, that was linked was of two computers, one black and one silver MacBook. Still, like, who cares, right? Closer examination of the Apple's MacBook showed on the screen the icon of the Onion router and the browser, like, actually open. Um, like, dude literally made a post on multiple social media sites on the clearnet with his face, stacks of money, and computers with the, the friggin' browser open. Like, just, just like many of the other cases, like, super disappointing operational security, man. Like, like in addition to his Twitter accounts... The public-facing postings, the feds were able to find posts that Twitter's geolocation stated that Coffee was in Miami Beach. Um, this picture was him, like, sitting on a jet ski with the comment, Count Stacula, in Miami. Um, the next day, he posted another picture holding 25 stacks of light blue banded U.S. currency inside what appeared to be a nightclub with the picture he posted Last night in Miami, so we did the usual. Yeah, so took pictures of himself on the plane and stated that he was returning because the hood missed him. He had ensured to make sure that the geo setting was still turned on and so that the hood knew that he was coming back very soon and that, you know, he was uh, at Miami International. <laughs> This idiocy lasted through multiple different vacations that he took, including one to Phoenix, and he continued to go on vacation status and on the dark net, and then tell everybody 
on the clear net on social media sites that he was going on vacation and post idiotic pictures like that uh, with idiotic comments. And in addition to all this evidence, the undercover buys uh, a, a team that we had we had talked about earlier, and I'm sure you're all well aware of, um, revealed some more information. The postage company where he had ordered his shipping labels from um, after he had actually started using shipping labels, apparently. <laughs> And he got tired of handwriting them and giving out evidence. Um, that company said that he had sent out as part of a batch order a parcel with 99 other parcels. And the online postage company said that the account used to purchase the postage had the labels sent to the email account. Get this. Get the Yayo 8 at SafeMail.net. <laughs> And I'd like you to send me a bunch of uh, prepaid shipping envelopes and labels. Uh, here's my here's my uh, email address. I sell drugs at Gmail. I guess Narco Boss at Safe Mail was already taken. Uh, Allied Security Investigations in Portland requested additional information on the other postage labels that were actually purchased from the online postage company. What they got blew them away. Um, what they ended up finding out was that there were actually 5,706 labels that were purchased by Get the Yayo 8 <laughs> between September 6, 2016 and June 24th, 2017. So here's the real kicker. Out of those 5,706 labels, they were able to confirm that these packages had been ones that were sent to the fatal overdose of CW, the fatal overdose of LM, the, the parcels that were delivered to the Raholian, the parcels that were purchased by the United States Postal Inspection Service and the FBI, all the parcels that they got that they suspected of having fentanyl in them purchased from Narcoboss by the Portland Police Bureau, USPS, and Oregon in the Idaho IDTA. Also, in addition to that, they were also able to connect the mail parcels that were addressed and delivered to Holian and Walters in Grand Forks, North Dakota. So, one last thing. Like... Get the Yayo 8 had made all these purchases with Bitcoin. The crazy thing is that this case, because everything was thoroughly documented in terms of him ordering his shipping labels, when he ordered them, how he ordered them, the Department of Homeland Security special agents, like they were able to come up with a timeline for his drug sales. In addition, because they knew the exact amount of packages that he actually shipped, they were also able to estimate the amount of drugs that he sold. Nine times out of ten, this is an over-exaggerated number, so you always want to make sure that the feds never have the ability to actually tell how many packages you shipped or when you started. This was one of those main reasons why I didn't like go this route, and I elected to have my rat cousin actually ship the packages in person uh, at, at the United States Postal Office. Um, and one thing... That was really crazy in this case, which kind of mimicked my case, was the fact that the United States really held out on disclosing discovery to the defendant. Like, 
reading throughout his docket sheet and like your docket sheet is basically like your list of what happened when in your case um he had made multiple requests or his lawyer had made multiple requests uh multiple times to get the full discovery um get every so the discovery basically is all the evidence that the government has against you um they're mandated by law to share this with you and like the amount of docket entries in this case definitely showed that he fought the good fight throughout the case. He battled the hell out of the United States attorneys that he'd been assigned and in the end, like ended up burning through some like, I don't know, five or 10 United States attorneys like that. Just like they switched the case from one to another, to another, to another. And on Jan on July 5th of 2017, the feds executed a search warrant and arrested, um, coffee at his Darby, Pennsylvania residence. Um, they arrested him and explained that they arrested him because of his federal warrant um, out of the District of Oregon and claimed that they gave him his Miranda warning or rights. And like in this report, the Fed said that like he waived his rights and he agreed to answer the investigators' questions that they had, which always is a great way to screw yourself. Um, and even signed an ICE form titled 73-025 and declined the officer's offer to record the interview. His public defender tried to argue that Coffey did not fully understand his rights and therefore could not knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily waive them. And his lawyer claimed that he was in shock because of the raid and the arrest and and in my opinion, this was a definitely a noble effort on his lawyer's part, but ultimately failed. At the end of the day, the jury came back on March 3rd of 2023 and found him guilty of distributing a controlled substance analog, which involves serious bodily injury. They found him guilty of distributing a controlled substance, which ended in death. Um, they count for, you know, it was the same as the last count, uh, which was ended in death. Um... And they also found him guilty of on counts five to nine for distribution of a controlled substance, all of which, again, he's not guilty of. Um, but in addition to this, he's under a federal indictment in two other jurisdictions. Like a federal grand jury in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania returned a two count indictment charging him with distributing a controlled substance and distributing a controlled substance within a thousand feet of a playground. Both of these cases are pending. I suspect when he actually gets sentenced, as he's already been found guilty for this, like one particular case, that like this sentence is going to be crazy. Uh, I don't see him getting anything under 10 years. Like I would be absolutely amazed and shocked if he did. So what are your thoughts on the case? Why? Like, Do you think that these sentences, they were just for this? Do you think that he should be looking at a, a life sentence? Do you think he should be looking at a death sentence? Like, what do you think about the OPSEC of the defendants in this case? Stop by the YouTube channel, Doing Fed Time, and let me know in the comments. And until next time, stay safe, secure, and free.